Welcome to Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. I'm Greg. And I'm Erin. We've been married for 31 years. We're marriage counselors and we lead the marriage team here at Focus on the Family. Greg, today I'm so excited because we are talking about how we can better love our spouse. And we're going to cover some practical tips on what we can do to make our spouse feel loved. Yeah. You know, for for me, as I think about just kind of what we can do to help our spouse feel loved, a big part of that is just learning, gaining knowledge, like what what does it mm-hmm. look like? How do yeah. you yeah. feel loved? And I remember one time we were we were going on a road trip. Mm-hmm. We lived in Missouri. We're going to Tennessee. So we mm-hmm. had to cross the mighty Mississippi River. Yes. And this was before GPS. Remember, we've been married 31 years. So before GPS... I was so impressed because I found like the perfect route. Mm-hmm. It was different than any, you know, anything I was finding. We were going to save like an hour of time. It was awesome. I was so proud of myself. Mm-hmm. So looking at the map, it looked like there was, you know, a bridge over the Mississippi mm-hmm. that was kind of back roads. And so I was so impressed at my clever way to interpret and look at the map and you know, yes. this was going to be awesome. And so I drive us all the way down this rural, you know, these little roads. Mm-hmm. And remember, it kept getting less and well, less it, populated. It got less and less populated. And then I saw a sign that said, road ends. <laughs> and I wouldn't and believe And dead you. end. And <laughs> I saw several of them. And I kept saying, Greg, I am certain that said dead. No, it doesn't. Oh, I read the map. No, it doesn't. I know and right so we where we're going. kept driving. And before we knew it. There we were at a dead end, and you could see the other side of the Mississippi, <laughs> but no bridge. You could see and, where the road continued. Yeah, but we were dying laughing because looking around, we were in a cornfield. Yeah, like that's it. It was like, like a horror movie. It was. It was I, pitch black. I cornfield. thought we were going to get murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the worst part was I'd driven us an hour out of our way, so which meant mm-hmm. it was going to take an additional hour to drive all the way back and then mm-hmm. to keep going. So this was like a three hour swing. I was so frustrated. You know, I was looking at you the whole time to think, you know, when is she going to give me the I told you so if you'd only listen to me. You never listen to me. I figured we we're gonna get into some big argument, but this turned out very differently than than I thought yeah, it was. I'm trying gonna to happen. remember what I said. Well you just you said, Hey, I was you know, I heard something, read something the other day, this statement that, that oh, will yeah. help us if we answer that. And so you kind of pulled out this little journal, some paper, and it was the statement that now we use all the time with couples, right. which is, I feel loved when you dot, dot, dot. And so driving there instead of lecturing me or lamenting or just in silence, we actually were super productive and just... Each one of us kind of going back and forth, answering that, well, I feel loved when you... Now, one of yours was, well, I feel loved when you consult a map or ask someone Yes, or listen to me that there was yes. a dead-end sign. Touche. That's fair. <laughs> when you don't take me to the cornfields, <laughs> I feel loved when you don't take me to the cornfields. <laughs> it's where I'm going to get murdered. But it was, it was a perfect example of really learning about each other and what mm-hmm. helps us to feel loved. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. And we've got some great segments coming up. Later on, Erin and I are going to give you some practical practical advice on learning to listen well. We're also going to hear a question from one of our listeners who wants to know, how can I be romancing and encouraging my husband? So 
We're going to talk about mm. what romance looks like to a man. Ooh, I can't wait to hear that. But first, we had a great conversation with Kevin Thompson about his tips for loving your spouse well. He's a pastor and author with some great insights. So let's listen to the conversation we had with Kevin. Kevin, I so appreciate your reflections on your grandparents' marriage of 70 years. And you you kind of talked about them being role models um, when it comes to your marriage. And then you, you went on to talk about happiness. And I, I really appreciated your take on happiness in marriage. So what is your take on, is happiness in marriage attainable? I absolutely believe it is. And I think happiness is one of those things that I think on, on one hand, uh, maybe culture puts too much of an emphasis on to where happiness is the ultimate goal uh, of marriage. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. But at the same time, I think in the church, if we're not very careful, we can downplay the role of happiness. So, so I don't think there's any doubt that there needs to be uh, an element, a characteristic over the general course of marriage. Mm. of a sense of happiness. But I think so much of it is a byproduct mm. of of another pursuit, and that is a pursuit of attempting uh, to love God well and to love each other well. And if we do that, then I think maybe not any given day is happy, but I do think that there will be a general sense of happiness that when we look back on our marriages, we will say that we were happier because we were together. Mm. And I really love that perspective. A colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Bob Paul and I wrote a book called Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage, and that was lie number one. The lie is that the goal in marriage is about happiness, but I really like what you're saying because you're reframing it to be more about the the journey that we're on together that's going to be full of the highs and the lows. So there'll be happy times, there'll be hard times, Mm -hmm. but it's all a beautiful part of that journey that we're on together. And, and you talk about you had a friend whose wife was cheating on him. So what was what was going on? What what led to that? Well, I mean, as you know, in the pastorate, I mean, that's a, that's a common uh, <laughs> kind of instance in which a good right. number of the phone calls that I take, many of them start with that basic kind of concept of uh, something, something has driven things that have been long ignored now to come to the forefront. And, and how do we go about navigating those issues? And so often uh, what's taking place in those moments in, in which cheating has happened or, or something like that is that couples have just not shown the intention in their relationship that they need to not have the humility to get help when they needed to get help. And then it begins to express itself in negative ways. And right. uh, sometimes, sometimes that means adultery. Sometimes uh, it can mean just living parallel lives. It can it can mean focus just focusing on the kids or work mm-hmm. instead of loving each other well. And you kind of it, and it sounds like through that story, you were almost like surprised that that he was like trying to figure out well why did this happen where where you no, were. That's, that's you exactly know, right. Yeah, it's kind of funny when 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 sometimes you know this when whenever you sit down and as an objective person you listen to somebody else's story. You're confused about why they're confused. <laughs> because it, it's almost as though if, if you wanted to write a prescription of how not to do marriage, mm-hmm. listen to what you just described. 
And, and so it, why is it shocking now that right. if you didn't have boundaries, if you weren't being intentional with your spouse in, in any way, if slowly over the years her heart was dying, why are you surprised that she has found somebody else that can make her heart come alive? And, and it just goes to show just the basic importance of intention, of humility, of doing the work that can lead to the happiness that you're pursuing. That's so good. And it's just recognizing that we've got to take care of this thing called marriage every single day and pour into it and nurture it. It's so important. And Kevin, you identified eight commitments from the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. And so I'd love to touch on those. I don't know that we'll make all eight of them, but let's start with the first one. Why is it important to demonstrate humility in marriage? I think one of the great deceptions that we have, and maybe movies sell this to us, Hollywood, maybe just our own upbringing, we just assume that we know what it takes to be married. <laughs> and, and we don't. We, we, we've, had, we've had it modeled to us primarily by, by our family of origin, which may or may not have been a, a good model. And then we just naturally think it's going to come easily to us, and it doesn't. And so anybody that begins with humility is recognizing several things. They're recognizing first and foremost, it's going to be hard to be married to me because mm-hmm. I, I recognize my own foibles and faults and sins and all those kind of things. I'm not going to necessarily always be a great spouse, and so I need help and assistance and love and forgiveness. And then beyond that, just the two of us, we have to figure this out. And humility is going to express itself by us admitting we don't know what we don't know, but then pursuing after the resources that we need. One of the reasons I love Focus on the Family it's just all the resources that y'all bring to couples to help instruct us on what we need on this topic that we do not naturally know uh, what it takes to make a marriage work. Mm, that's just rich because that's such a great baseline of where to start. We have to have that humble heart that we don't have it all figured out. I know so many premarital couples we work with are like, well, this is going to be easy. And I know Greg and I thought it was going to be easy, too. And wow, when you're married to someone who's so different than you that has such a different family of origin upbringing, and then you move these two people into the same small vicinity, there's challenges. And I love your focus on humility. Because I love the verse that talks about do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. But what for me, what was so good is just understanding how that, that vain conceit showed up so often in my marriage, kind of the opposite of humility, which was thinking that, that I was right. My perspective was the right one. Aaron just needs to understand that I'm right here, and she just needs to, to get my perspective. Well, and marriage is all about being right. right exactly. You know? Yeah. It took me a while to, <laughs> to understand how to be humbled in that situation. And you, you talked about that second commitment then is embracing the hurt. So how can a couple do that well? Yeah, you know, Greg and Aaron, this, this to me was the chapter of the book that kind of shocked me the most. And so I, I, the origin of the book is I preached through the Beatitudes, and as I did at the very end, I told my wife, Jenny, I said, Jenny, this is so much of, of what we want to create as a climate of marriage, kind of the how. So, so I wrote a book, Friends, Partners, and Lovers. That's the what we're supposed to do. Happily is the how it's supposed to happen. Hmm. And I thought the Beatitudes are perfect, but the, the one that I couldn't figure out how it matched was blessed are those who mourn. But you know what's interesting is having written the book happily now in retrospect, it's actually my favorite chapter. Hmm. 
mm-hmm. because I begin to recognize that, that what our culture tends to do is to uh, disassociate from the pain, to run away from it, to live in, in denial, to ignore it. I think about this, Greg and Aaron, years ago, when, when somebody died, they were sick in the house. Care took place in the house. Whenever they died, the body laid in the house. The funeral was in the house. Well, now all that has been distanced. To, to, it's at the hospital, it's at the hospice, it's at the funeral home, and there's, there's positive to, to that, no question. But we have literally distanced ourselves from the pain, from the brokenness of life. And here, here's what I found in writing the chapter. To the extent that you and I are willing to lean into the pain, we can celebrate the goodness. But when you and I live in denial of the sorrow, suddenly the good isn't nearly as sweet either. Hmm. And so one reason I love the idea of embracing the hurt is just begin to recognize I'm a fallen human being. I need help. Our marriage is not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. We're going to experience the hardships of life, but we can do so together. And to the extent that we come together in the midst of our own brokenness, not only will that empower us to endure the hardship, it will actually give us a deeper appreciation for what we have. And so even as I recognize, Jenny, some of the struggles in her own life, it gives me a a gratitude for her strengths, for her successes. And and I think whenever we we shy away from the pain, we we unintentionally are shying away from, from the excitement and the goodness as well. Well, I really appreciate Kevin's perspective on pain and in and how our culture often runs away from pain. I liked mm-hmm. how he was saying that. And, and so let's talk about how, how to embrace pain as we go through difficult seasons or experiences in our marriage, because, I mean, the, the Scripture really talks about this. Yeah, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. So often, I think... Within the culture, there's this idea of it's all about happiness. I saw a a rom-com last night, and literally multiple, multiple times, it was all about, I just want to be happy, and I want my kids to be happy, and if I'm not happy, well, then I don't want to do this. And gosh, when we look at scriptures, it really, I mean, it says there's going to be trials and troubles. So how does happiness fit in there? Yeah. Well, if, if that's the goal... Then, you know, if I'm in pain, if we're going through a hard season, if mm-hmm. we've had something that's gone on to where we're experiencing a lot of pain together, then we're failing or it starts to make me question, are are we the right two people to be together? Yes. I mean, yeah. it, it causes that versus really right having this perspective that pain and hard times, that's actually a beautiful part of our marriage story. Right. And, and I'm not, let me just say this, I'm not minimizing, marginalizing poor choices in the pain that we go through. Uh-huh. So don't hear me saying. Well, and I also want to clarify that happiness is nice, yeah. but if it's the ultimate goal and if, unless we're feeling happiness yeah. 24-7, yeah. that that's an indicator for um, success or, success or the, the quality of the marriage. Yeah. 
that that's where I get concerned. Yeah. Even for our kids, um, that ultimately they should be happy. Well, sure, I want I want them to pursue things that make them happy, but they're not always going to be happy, and no. that's okay. Well, I mean, life's greatest lessons come through pain, right? And through mistakes and failures, and uh-huh. and that's the same. Is a marriage. I love there's a Doug Larson quote that says, more marriages might survive if the partners realize that sometimes the better comes after the worse. Oh, that's good. I like that. And it's so true because what we believe as couples work their way through difficulties, they can look back and see, wow, look at the mountains we conquered, as well as look at the grit we developed, yeah. that that relational grit that really is going to strengthen us in the long run. Yeah, because over our 31 years together, I mean, we, we've got scars. Mm-hmm. We, we've had hard moments, tough seasons, poor choices. I mean, we, we've gone through all that, and they, those create scars. Mm-hmm. And I would still say that those scars are a beautiful part of our love story. Right. Because it always shows that, that here's what God did, and here's mm-hmm. how he brought us through that and what we learned. And, and again, it's never minimizing the, the excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. Of what creates the scar. I mean, right. that's legit, and and we've got to walk through that stuff and learn from that, and and get help when we need it. Mm-hmm. I, I would say to a couple, as you're going through a really one of those tough, tough moments right now in your marriage, that first and foremost, I would really encourage you to focus on how do we, through this hard time, really create safety. Mm-hmm. Safety comes from recognizing that, listen, you know, we're we're together. We're going to make it through this. This is hard. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how we're going to make it through, but we're going to make it through mm-hmm. in reminding each other that, that I'm with you till the end. Like, let's figure this out. It's hard. I'm discouraged, hopeless, helpless. I mean, all that is true, but safety comes from going, but we're, we're, we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. So let's go get help. Let's make sure that that we're being careful how we treat each other, Mm -hmm. what we say, what we do. I mean, all those things matter. It helps to build safety. But I would say one of the biggest things I think that is often missed within that category of building safety is that we also have to feel safe with ourselves, that we know what to do when our very human spouse does things that cause us to feel unsafe, yeah. that we know what to do to create safety for us or to remove ourselves, yeah. um, not permanently, but to remove ourselves from something that doesn't feel good, yeah. take care of ourselves and feel safe with us, and then go back and let our spouse know like, hey, that really hurt me. Yeah. I heard this analogy recently, and I've used it so many times over the last couple of weeks with clients that, you know, just thinking about when we get into the car to drive, say, so I'm the driver and I'm getting into the car. How safe do I feel? Do I feel pretty safe or do I worry like, oh, I might not know how to drive this car? But no, I think most of us go, yeah, I'm yet to come across a person that says, no, I don't feel safe. And, you know, because... Our 16-year-old brand new driver, Annie, might. Well, no, she would say she feels safe. (laughs) I'm the one that doesn't feel safe. (laughs) That's fair. But, you know, we feel safe. And I always say, why? Well, because I know how to drive. 
same thing is true as we feel safe knowing that we know what to do when someone forgets to treat us in respectful, valuable ways, in ways that we feel safe, that we know what to do. And we say we know how to put the car in reverse and we we back it up and care for ourselves and then come back and say, no, 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 that did not feel good. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I would even add from a real practical, okay, what what does that look like mm-hmm. caring for me or mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. feeling safe to drive the car as the yes. driver is to, to really lean into the emotions, to let yeah. emotions matter. That's the voice of your heart when you're hurting and those emotions are there. Don't bury them, stuff them, ignore them, minimize judge them, them, judge them. Take time. Maybe that's journaling. Maybe that's talking to a counselor, a good, you know, safe friend that's mm-hmm. not going to go and, you know, gossip about what's going on with you guys, but right. but to let those emotions matter, to identify them. I'm mm-hmm. feeling betrayed. I'm feeling unloved. I'm feeling disrespected. Whatever the feelings, right. whatever those feelings are, to to let those matter, let mm-hmm. those come out, and, and give those to God ultimately. Right. And, and say, God, I know you care. Please care. Mm-hmm. In this moment, I care. You care. And then how do you want me then to, what do you want me to do with these emotions? Because I love that verse that talks about in your anger, mm-hmm. do not sin. So it's saying all those emotions, including anger, matter. Mm-hmm. They're, they're good. That's God's design in our life. He's given us these emotions. So now what do I do to manage whatever it is I'm feeling? And I think mm-hmm. as we do that, that's when we are being safe behind the wheel of this car driving through this hard time. Well, if you want to go deeper on Kevin's eight commitments for a healthier marriage, you can get his book for a gift of any amount. It's called Happily, Eight Commitments of Couples Who Laugh, Love, and Last. And it's really because of your financial support that we're able to do this podcast. So please donate and get that book today. Yes, all the details will be in the show notes. Greg, so often when we are at an event, at a marriage event, we'll hear questions from people or talk with individuals. And so often they'll say, my spouse just doesn't listen to me. Yeah. And I remember we started asking couples to turn toward during the event, we would take a little a little breakout time and ask your spouse, you know, how do you know when I'm listening to you? Yeah. Because it's different for everyone. And it's important. And I think as a society, and I know for me especially, um, we're poor listeners. And oftentimes we are speakers in waiting, waiting to see what, how can we best respond to what our spouse is saying? Formulating my logical good argument that I'm going to use here in a moment. Versus just slowing it down enough just to hear and to understand, seeking to understand and responding. Yeah. Um, back to our spouse that I hear you yeah. or am I hearing you? Yeah. And what, what, what I hear you saying, the important part is that we, in our events, we do this because we want to continue to, to kind of teach a model that instead of me trying to figure out how I can be a better listener, mm-hmm. how about I just ask you? Yes. So that's what we're doing. We're saying, hey, here, you've got the expert right there, your spouse, and so maybe, Aaron, as you think about this, yeah, for you, so let me, I'll model this. So how do you know that I'm listening? What am I doing, not mm-hmm. doing? I know that you are listening when your phone is down. <laughs> and I know you, you like to say that I'm the one who always has my phone, but I think you do too. 
And so this setting your like phone. feels like projection on your ah, part, but that's okay. I don't know. Setting your you. phone down, reflecting back, yeah. this is what I hear you saying, am I getting it? Yeah. Um, is just so helpful because yeah. 70% of communication might be miscommunication. Yeah. Yeah. And so reflecting it back is so helpful to make sure that you're really understanding what I'm saying. Yeah. In when, when I'm reflecting back, when I'm hearing you're saying, I, I think what what really matters to you is mm-hmm. especially that I'm identifying the emotion. Yes. So even if maybe you're not using an emotional word, I can always go. So it sounds like you're saying that that when I do, you know, X, that that it makes you feel, you know, invalidated or mm-hmm. unloved or worthless, whatever the feeling might right. be. And that's such an important part of listening. Is mm-hmm. you know, beyond the words, I love in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, it says, "Don't pay attention to every word that someone says." What I've always liked about that verse, it's kind of like if all I'm listening. Four is when you're talking are the words Mm -hmm. and I'm ignoring the emotions that that I'm probably missing really what you're trying to say to Mm -hmm. me. So I think it's something I've really had to learn is when you're talking, if you're, you know, expressing kind of your side or this is my experience or this is what happened. If if all I'm doing is listening to words, then I'm going to argue and debate mm-hmm. those words all day long. Well, it didn't happen that way, mm-hmm. or it wasn't two weeks ago; it was three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Or you're right, perspective, yes. uh, opinion—that's all debatable. But what's never debatable is the emotion, right? And I think that's really been the biggest thing that I've had to learn is when you're talking, how do I try to really gain a better understanding? Of of how you felt and and again, so I, I may offer. So it sounds like that made you feel in, invalidated. Or I'll say, okay, so everything that you said, if you know that being true, mm-hmm. you know, in my mind, I might be thinking, I know it wasn't because it didn't happen that way. But if 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 that was yeah, true, just don't say that. Yeah, right. Don't don't verbalize that out loud. Yeah. But what I'm I'm asking you is, okay, so if, if all that's true, how did that make you feel? Because mm-hmm. honestly, that's. That's been such an important part of my own journey as a listener mm-hmm. is to go, you know, how you feel, it's not debatable. Mm-hmm. We were watching a, a a reality show the other day, and, and the wife was expressing that how something that he was doing made her feel so unsafe because of a past experience, right. and that was really getting triggered. And he kept going, that's ridiculous. There's, there's no way that that makes you feel unsafe. And... And yeah. it, it, you and I are like shouting at the television, stop it. Yeah. Just, it's how she feels. Just let that be okay. Just lean in, care about that. Yeah. And, and, and that was probably me, our first couple of years of marriage. Mm-hmm. Like you would express these emotions and I would just kind of go, what? <laughs> I think I even made the comment, gosh, she reminds me a little bit of I you. know, I heard that. I was <laughs> From early it. on in our relationship. But it's true. So, I, I'll own that, that yeah. that was hard for me because mm-hmm. I, I – you know, I see things different. I feel things different than you. And yeah, so if it didn't kind of line right. up with how I would have felt or seen that, then I would debate that. And yeah, ah, that yeah, was awful. Just didn't go I'm well. sorry that for for doing that all those years. I, I hope I don't do that now. I would not usually. Okay. If you get triggered, yeah. that's when it's more okay. likely to happen. But that happens. So how about for you? How do you know when I'm listening to you? Yeah, for me, it's all about the eye contact. 
because you you were you were rather distractible, and very I mean much. that in a very loving way. Yeah, yeah you but, can but say there's it. a lot going on. I mean, you're great at multitasking. Mm-hmm. So I mean, kids and you know phones and you know just whatever our golden doodle. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just there's so much that yes that can capture your attention very quickly. That mm-hmm. when you stay locked in and you're really giving me good eye contact, that to me speaks so. Uh, so much value and worth. Like in this moment, I'm the most important thing mm-hmm. in your life, and you care about me. How do you feel right feeling. now? Because I'm giving I know. you good eye contact. I'm, I'm a little. It's a little awkward going. I'm sitting right across from you, giving you good eye what contact. What am I doing wrong? No, I love that. <laughs> so all we're trying to encourage you to do is to to really ask each other. Have your spouse answer that statement. I know you're listening when you are. And then fill in the blank. And that's mm-hmm. such a gold mine of yeah. information. Yeah, so helpful. Well, now we're going to move on to our weekly Q&A. And this is the part of the show where we get to answer your burning questions about marriage. Yes, please send us your questions. You can click on the link in the show notes or go to crazylittlethingcalledmarriage.com and click the button on the side of our show page to leave us a voicemail. And if your question gets answered on the show, we're going to send you a copy of our book, Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, 12 Secrets to a Lifelong Romance, for free, as our way of saying thank you for listening and reaching out to us. Well, today's question comes from Heather And I'm telling you, every guy, you're going to want to send this episode to your wife because she's going to talk about what's romantic to a guy. So let's listen to the voicemail that she sent in. Greg and Aaron, thank you so much for your podcast. I listen regularly and am blessed by your insights. My name is Heather. I've been married almost a year to a great man, and I want to continue to grow in my relationship with him. You spoke about giving the woman romance from the man's perspective. I wondered if you had suggestions on how I can both encourage him to continue romancing me and possibly give him romance, or if it's not romance for him to help him feel cherished and like I'm interested in thinking about him and caring for him. What an awesome question, Heather. Thank you. Because you're right. Often when we talk about romance, it's probably more focused on mm-hmm. her, you, wife, female. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that thought of going, you know, what, what what does romance look like to a guy? And actually, as mm-hmm. I was thinking about how to, how we would answer that, it was really fun kind of really sitting down thinking, yeah, what would romance look like? But I, and I would say much like our last segment, you know, we, we talked about this idea of making sure you're asking about what does listening look like. It's the same thing here. Ask your husband, mm-hmm. ask your partner, ask that person that matters most to you, what, what does romance really look like to you? How would you, you know, what would be going on that you would feel, boy, that's so romantic? Well, and it's different for everyone. I think sometimes we assume that romance is candles and (laughs) roses, and those are good things. Not for me. Yeah, but... For you, maybe. It's different for everyone. And although I like candlelit dinners and roses, those would be meaningless if we didn't have good conversation, deeper level conversation. And so, you know, it's really getting clear on... If you're wondering what speaks romance to your husband, ask him. And then listen. Set aside distractions like we talked about in the last segment, and then and then really remember and put that into action. So, Greg, what is it for you 
that causes you to feel romanced. Yeah. You know, I I love it when you do these little thoughtful gestures. Like just just these little small little things like, you know, you'll you'll plan like a little surprise, you know, gathering of people who might come over for a dinner or You like that? I I I, I, I like it because I know what you're doing in and I like those little small gestures. You love gifts and mm-hmm. so you'll bring home, you know, maybe some sell item <laughs> thing for me that that you found. Like a vest. Yeah, a vest. Yeah, anything. <laughs> but I like those little just those little small gestures. Another one that really speaks romance to me is appreciation. Mm-hmm. Like when you when you take the time to really point out something that you notice that I've done mm-hmm. and then you express some gratitude or why that you like that. That just yeah, it just it fills me with those warm fuzzies like I'm sure, you know, candlelit dinners or you know, cards or flowers would for you. So that's a that's a really, really big one. And then I would say another one is just when when you hang out with me doing things that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe you might sit for a little bit as I'm watching some, you know, basketball game or a football game. Or, or go hiking with yeah. you and yeah. sit by you when you fish yeah. or yes. just hang out yes. or just go on the adventure with yeah. you. Yeah. So any anything like that, I think those – those are the kinds of things we even spot like just <laughs> I think it was two nights ago we we're just you know cuddled up on the couch you know we we're watching whatever little show or I think we we're watching a movie but you got up to go get something and so you did two things that totally spoke romance to me one you said hey can I get you anything mm-hmm. like I'm gonna go in here but what can I bring back for you you're usually the one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> getting something for me but uh, I try yeah <laughs> But it, it did. It spoke romance. And as you walk by, I just put my hand out and you high-fived me in that mm-hmm. small little act of affection, even mm-hmm. something as simple as just, you know, responding to a high-five that I might put out there. That that really speaks romance. And, and again, that's what I, what I love about this thought is that we're all different. Mm-hmm. And, and usually we'll be asking women more of what speaks right. romance. But I, I liked thinking about that. So make sure you're, you're asking your man, yeah. what, what does that really look like to you? Well, and I would say year-round, not just around yeah. Valentine's Day. Yeah. And, you know, just really being intentional. I love, Heather, that you are being intentional about that to keep the spark alive. Well, thanks to Heather for your question and look out for your copy of Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. And if you're listening today and have any questions for us, contact us. Click the link in the show notes to leave us a voicemail. And again, if you want to be anonymous, you can do that. Thank you for joining us for Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. We hope we gave you some practical tips as you strive to love your spouse better every day. Yeah, be sure to like, listen, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, we want you to have a seat at the table every week as we help equip you and your spouse to have a lifelong and satisfying marriage. We want to see you growing spiritually together and as individuals so that you can turn around and invest in another couple and help them build a thriving marriage. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk with you next week about this crazy little thing called marriage.
Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.